Welcome back to the Citizens Defending Freedom show. Coming up today, we will hear from Stephanie Bontel, our Citizens Defending Freedom law and policy specialist on recent updates to Title IX. In recent times, we have witnessed a number of organizations such as the ACLU and Equality Now, among others, cite the Supreme Court decision Bostick versus Clayton County to justify expanding the scope of Title IX where gender is regarded as fluid as opposed to something that is determined on the basis of biological sex. Reliance upon this Supreme Court decision has influenced the cultural shift that we have been witnessing, such as boys being allowed to participate in girls' sports teams or use the girls' restroom or dressing room room facilities at school. Here with us today is Stephanie Bontel. Stephanie, can you explain to us, please, the Bostick case and why the use of this case to advocate for changes to Title IX isn't constitutional? Yes. So Bostick v. Clayton County is a Supreme Court decision from 2020 um, involving Title VII employment discrimination um, on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, The individuals involved in this case alleged that their termination was because of these qualities, which the Supreme Court considered in reaching their holding that under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, that this because of reasoning existed to protect individuals of the opposite sex in the workplace and would also apply to those alleging discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, However, It is worth noting that in this case, the Supreme Court made it abundantly clear that they were not applying this analysis to any other federal statute, that they were really just examining this issue of Title VII employment discrimination in a vacuum. Um, And if you go back and actually read the majority opinion authored by Justice Neil Gorsuch, um, you'll find that the court addressed the respondents' concerns that their decision um, would, to use the language of the court, sweep beyond Title VII to implicate other federal or state laws, which would inherently exclude Title VII, or I'm sorry, Title IX, and that the court um, definitively stated that they would not prejudge any question beyond that in their analysis. So despite the fact that Bostick has been cited to justify this lawless sweeping expansion of federal authority, including Title IX, Um, That's not actually supported by the Supreme Court opinion itself, uh, nor is it consistent with the procedures of administrative law that requires a statute in consideration to be interpreted to be interpreted um, in accordance with what the public meaning of the word at the time of its drafting would mean. So um, sex was understood to be binary and biological, not fluid when it was drafted um, in 1964. That is the Civil Rights Act. So that is the interpretation that courts are supposed to follow um, because this helps to gauge the legislative intent and govern application. Um, And the Boston court, importantly, actually acknowledged this. um, And most people don't realize that, but that the decision was not intended to surpass their traditional legislative process reserved for Congress in determining um, whether a particular statute um, could be modified. Uh, and something else to to point out here as well is the Supreme Court in a separate case uh, called West Virginia versus EPA elaborated on this concept, um, otherwise known as the major doctrines or rather majors questions doctrine, which involves, again, having to read the law in accordance with the time in which it was originally drafted. Um, and this is because of a recognition of the separation of powers, um, observing an understanding of legislative intent that um, accords with, again, the time that it was drafted, 
to discourage any kind of reading into the law or reading an interpretation that's really not supported by the explicit language of the statute. So it's really for these reasons that there is this overreach that we're seeing um, that is especially unconstitutional. To reiterate, Stephanie, you mentioned that the Supreme Court anticipated that there would be misuse of its decision to justify the expansion of federal laws, such as Title IX. So they included language to protect against this possibility. But we know this is not being heeded today by some of the organizations mentioned earlier, as well as the Biden administration itself. The administration's executive order, as well as the Department of Education's notice of interpretation, both cite Bostick to argue for changes to be made to federal laws law. Are there any specific examples of recent cases in which the Bostick decision has been weaponized to advance a faulty understanding of Title IX that really highlight the dangers associated with the misuse of this case? Uh, Absolutely. So in at least a dozen other cases, um, the courts have extended Bostick's definition of sex in Title VII to other statutes, uh, very much against the warnings expressed by the Bostick court that I've already discussed. Um, So this includes decisions out of the Fourth and Eleventh Circuits, uh, including Graham v. Gloucester County and Adams v. School Board of St. John's County. Um, Both of those cases erroneously applied Bostick's definition um, and abolish sex-specific bathroom policies in public schools, uh, which of course is far beyond the reach of the original Bostick decision, which um, did not opine on anything pertaining to bathrooms or public facilities. Um, But it's important to note that just as Bostick does not apply in that respect, that again, it doesn't carry over um, to restroom use, to public facilities by anybody claiming to be of a particular sexuality or gender identity. Um, The court explicitly refrained from addressing that question head on. Um, But nevertheless, we have seen that some courts have gone even further, uh, including the Supreme Court of Nevada, um, who recently applied Bostick not only to Title IX, but um, expanded on the basis of sex tests that I discussed a moment a moment ago, um, that was ultimately leveraged by the Bostic court in the context of discrimination to include even um, what they call perceived sexual orientation. Um, and there's uh, there are other cases uh, that have also done this that have extended the definition of sex to include things like gender stereotyping. Um, so it's been very problematic. And even beyond this, we see that the Bostic case has been the subject of extensive misapplication by the federal government. Um, including the notice of interpretation in the executive order out of the Biden administration, as well as attempts by federal agencies, um, such as the Office of Management and Budget, in the most recent example um, that I'd like to highlight, uh, which has taken the Bostick case in a, a recent proposed rule uh, to justify the development of grant-making criterion that is totally unrelated to Title VII employment discrimination that Bostick ultimately addressed, um, that is now imperiling the religious liberties of federal grant recipients. So it really just speaks to this issue that you're raising, that there really is an overreach and it's a major problem and a distortion of what was originally intended by the Bostic Court. Considering that it is now easier to see how those who have been calling for unlawful changes to Title IX have received support, beyond this, we have also witnessed how the misapplication of Bostick has been used to harass, intimidate, and coerce schools to try and change their Title IX policies. How would you encourage schools who find themselves in this position to respond, and do you think there is any hope that can be given? 
Yeah, so we at Citizens Defending Freedom, we've developed um, a Title IX toolkit that is available on our website that consists of a fact sheet, timeline, and script that provides folks with the resources necessary to push back against the faulty application of Bostick in the latest attempts to undermine sex-specific protections um, for women and girls that Title IX was originally designed to afford. Uh, we've witnessed the success of our resources firsthand. Uh, back in July of this year, CDF's county leadership championed these resources um, to the benefit of Keller ISD out of Tarrant County, uh, Texas, which was able to successfully resist pressure from the ACLU and Equality Now, uh, amongst other organizations, uh, to change their school Title IX policies to reflect the faulty interpretation of Bostick. So that didn't happen as a result of um, the resources that were employed. And it's just really a reminder the kind of leadership we need to really make the difference and restore confidence um, that the law is actually on our side on this matter, despite what some may have led us to think. Earlier this year, Citizens Defending Freedom launched a Title IX campaign in response to the Biden administration's attempt to unlawfully change Title IX with gender identity language. Thanks to the contribution of our counties in the efforts of concerned citizens around the nation, the Department of Education received nearly 400,000 total comments combined in response to proposed changes to Title IX that were presented in 2022, as well as the most recent round of proposed changes in the spring of 2023. Stephanie, can you speak to the power of this campaign and why this had such an impact on the implementation of the proposed rules. Absolutely. So as you noted, um, there have been nearly 400,000 comments that were the direct result of active and enthusiastic participation and engagement in the public comments period, where thousands of people had the opportunity to go to the Federal Register's website to make their voices heard about their desire to ultimately see the application of Title IX remain consistent with its legislative intent, and that any effort to ultimately change Title IX on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity is fundamentally unconstitutional. Um, the public comments campaigns are always very critical because they have the potential to lead to delays in the presentation and ultimately implementation of a final rule by a given federal agency. So the more comments that are ultimately received, the more time the department has to take the time to review. Finally, do we have an estimate of when we might anticipate to see a final rule and what the next steps might be in the months to come? Yeah, so for the reasons uh, described earlier, there have been delays in the uh, regulatory process that accompanies the um, submission of public comments. So uh, in kind of accordance with the Administrative Procedures Act, uh, the Department of Education is now re required to review each comment um, before publishing a final rule. So because they received um, many more comments than they had originally anticipated, thanks to um, the concerned citizens that we've discussed um, due to their involvement. Uh, there has been, there. I'm sorry, there was the announcement of a tentative timeline of October 2023 to publish the proposed rule. Um, but ultimately, before a rule can be published, um, the department has to submit a rule to something called the Officer Management and Budget, um, in a sub-department called the Office for Information Regulatory Affairs for review and additional feedback. So um, as of the time of, of this recording, the Title IX changes have yet to be submitted to um, the Office of Management and Budget. So, but if, for those who are interested and, and want to monitor and track developments on this, uh, 
you can actually visit the website for the OMB uh, and there's a dashboard there uh, where you can review the regulatory actions that are currently under review by the agency. Um, normally the review takes approximately 90 days after receiving the proposed rule by a federal agency, um, though an additional 30 days may be granted and it could take up to 120 days um, upon the proposed rule submission before a final rule is actually published. So um, as we kind of think about that process, we expect to see a final rule published anywhere between uh, March and May of 2024, following um, a three to six months period of review by the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, and then after this point, any enforcement deadline um, would be given between probably 60 to 90 days upon the publication of the final rule. So uh, we would encourage folks to be on the lookout for a final rule sometime in spring of 2024 with implementation tentatively slated for the summer of that same year. Thank you, Stephanie. We really appreciate you joining us. We hope you enjoyed this special educational episode. To learn more, head to our website, citizensdefendingfreedom.com for our toolkits. That's all for today. Thank you for tuning in. As you can see, Citizens Defending Freedom is doing important work. Help us today in our fight to protect children and push back against radical ideologies. Please visit citizensdefendingfreedom.com where you can learn more about our organization and generously contribute to our cause. Have a great day and make sure to like us on social media and tell your friends about the great things we're doing. God bless. God bless.